Hello, and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on this journey through the underrated, underloved, underappreciated movies that are floating around out there that really just need a little more attention. Today's movie is one that is near and dear to my heart because this is the absolute definition of an underrated movie that just a lot of people do not know about. We are talking about Steve Martin's 1983 masterpiece, The Man with Two Brains. In my opinion, Steve Martin's probably funniest movie. I know that's blasphemy to a lot of the jerk fans out there, but I am so excited to talk about this one because it's one that's almost unheard of. Like, there's almost nobody who knows this movie unless you maybe grew up with it and are a diehard Steve Martin fan. And my guest today, I'm going to bring on a, uh, let's see, one of my listeners, one of my readers. I've known him for quite a while, but this is the first time we're actually doing a podcast together. And it's an especially interesting uh, scenario that he's on this podcast because he's a doctor and this is a movie about doctors. So what fortuitous timing. I'd like to welcome to the show Dr. Rob Allison. Welcome. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Oh, Dr. Rob, I'm so excited for you to come on and we're going to talk about brain surgery and neurology and all this exciting brainy stuff that I have no idea about. And it's funny that it's coming from a movie from Steve Martin, who is known for being one of the brainier comedians out there. So I'm so excited that you're here. Yeah, I, I, I love Steve Martin. He's a physical comedian. He's hilarious. And, uh, you know, I'll give you what medical advice I can for free. Okay, good. Now, yeah, for people who don't know, this is a movie about a brain surgeon named uh, Dr. I'll, I'll save his name for a second because that's one of the best jokes in the movie. But um, it's about a brain surgeon who falls in love with a brain and he tries to get it into a woman that he can respect. Anyway, anyway it's very convoluted, very crazy, very fun movie. And in fact, I again, I will again say I think this is maybe Steve Martin's funniest movie. What would you say? Are you what's your history with like Steve Martin movies and like growing up? How do you know about this movie, Dr. Rob? Yeah. So, you know, Steve Martin was kind of always one of those things kind of on the taboo. I grew up in Nebraska. I was 15 when this movie kind of came out, so couldn't quite watch uh, all the Saturday Night Live bits. And so when I could get some Steve Martin, I'd kind of sneak away and find it. And uh, much more Steve Martin fan as I kind of grew up and found a genre that his comedy kind of fit my comedy. So it's real physical, real, um, you know, slapstick. Uh, I really like his attitude towards um, towards just the, the short little riffs he does. Yeah, and for people who don't know, Steve Martin, kind of a uh, one of these uh, stand-up comedians, but not really your traditional stand-up comedian. He's one of these guys, if if you don't know much about him, he's like in Mensa, he studies and collects art. He's this very, very brainy, cerebral guy, kind of an introvert. I've heard he doesn't really interact with people. Just one of the smartest guys in Hollywood, and for years he had this uh, stand-up act, but it was really more like a parody of a stand-up comedian. It wasn't traditional stand-up comedy. It was very odd and very brainy, and then he ended up hooking up with Saturday Night Live in the 70s, became... I was going to say arguably, but I think the biggest comedian in America for a couple of years there, and then he branched into movies, and... Uh, it's funny because, in my opinion, Steve Martin is absolutely one of the most respected comedians around. He was absolutely beloved in the 80s and 70s. But it's weird because I've never been that big a fan of his movies. I'm not sure if you disagree with that or agree with that. But it's funny for a guy with his reputation and legacy how few actually really great Steve Martin movies there are out there. Yeah, his filmography wasn't really that long. You know, and you're right. He's got like a master class now on on how to be Steve Martin. He's got a Grammy and an Emmy. I mean, he's such a broad character in in general. And and we all think of him, you know, related to Saturday Night Live and all the 
activity he did there. But the movie stuff, you know, has kind of been an evolution for him. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's funny when you watch him because he was always doing these really cerebral things. He's, again, just almost like anti-comedian, just making fun of the idea of a stand-up comedian. And then he kind of got known for this really stupid, silly stuff. And that really wasn't his whole act. He was very cerebral, very much in making fun of the concepts and the tenets and just the idea of comedy. And you're familiar with The Jerk, I would assume, right, Rob? Oh, God, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Where's my phone book? Yep. <laughs> yeah, The Jerk is one of the most beloved comedies of all time. I am not as high on it as some people. I think there's some really funny moments, I know, but there's also some dead air moments, and it really, it's very up and down and uneven. And like this movie, The Man with Two Brains, I, I would kind of consider it the spiritual successor to The Jerk. The Jerk was this big, crazy, wild comedy, and then he really only did one other big, crazy, wild comedy, and that's this one, The Man with Two Brains. To me, they're like, uh, like stepbrothers almost. Yeah, I mean, the jerk, they made it for like $4 million, and it grossed $100 million. This This didn't quite do anywhere near that, mm -hmm. but I think it kind of has a cult following, just kind of how, how uh, crafted it is. Yeah, now, okay, now I'm curious, since I brought this up, how would you compare this movie to the jerk? And I know we're kind of going off topic. We're talking about a movie we're not even doing on staff picks, but how would you compare these two? Would you, would you find them similar? Would you find one way better than the other one? How would you kind of compare the two? I'd probably... I'd probably say the jerk is probably better categorized in mine. I, I mean, I, I like that storyline and and the writing I think was better. You know, uh, Carl Reiner writing this and and kind of creating the it, the script on this movie is a little bit kind of broken up, kind of thrown together. Uh, but the jerk just seemed to be like a perfect uh, movie for uh, Steve Martin. Yeah, the jerk I think absolutely is a more cohesive story. This man with two brains, for people who have never seen it, it's just all over the place. There's so many weird ideas being thrown at the screen and jokes and gags and, like, smart humor, stupid humor. Like, it's 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 hard to even compare this to other Steve Martin movies. It's really more like, like the air, airplane movies, that type of humor. Or Young Frankenstein is the one that really jumps to mind, that Mel Brooks and Steve Martin were kind of almost doing the same thing for a while here. Yeah, I, I would agree. There's lots of little details in this movie that you can kind of appreciate, and we'll, I'm sure we'll touch base on those shortly. Yeah, but the pace. Is that something that jumps out at you when, when I watch this movie? Like the first 15 minutes, there's so many jokes and gags being thrown at you, you almost have to pause to catch them all. Like it's, it's really insane. Oh, yeah, especially when I did this review. I was that, – that little girl scene starting off with <laughs> – I mean that scripting is pure medicine, and it's just freaking hilarious if, you, if you're a doctor and you – you're asking this little girl to do her a little bit, and she pops it off, and Steve Martin then goes right at her. It's, it, there's a lot of things in here that I'm, – I'm a general internist. I take care of adults, and so we, we bash on surgeons all the time. And there's a ton of surgical arrogance on here about everything in there, his, uh, his clips in his, in his coat jacket that he wants to show how smart he is. And you know the people watching the surgeries at the Tonto, the Lone Ranger, and the – the Indian guru. There's just there's a lot of surgical arrogance in here, and he he hits that pretty well. Yeah, you you talked about the arrogance. That's funny because one of the things that really jumps out to me when I watch this movie is that, again, this movie is just crazy. There's so many goofy things, wild things, just just insane brainy ideas being thrown at the screen all at once. But what's funny is that Steve Martin himself in this movie is kind of 
unlikable and that's one of the things I love about him he just might kind of makes himself into an asshole in this movie and he plays the whole thing completely straight and that's one thing I love yeah. about him is that he he loves to mess with the conventions of comedy that's one thing you'll notice with Steve Martin that's why his movies are never the same they're always playing with different ideas or tropes or inventions and in this one yeah it's again so much like Leslie Nielsen in Airplane that all this weird stuff is going on around him and he plays the whole movie so completely straight almost like deadpan and that's the one thing that jumps out about to me I guess the other thing I, I didn't remember from the 80s was all the language. I mean, <laughs> assholes and azaleas, you know, I couldn't fuck a gorilla. You know, all those lines that just come out of non- nowhere, you know, uh, Kathleen Turner saying, you know, my balls when she gets kicked in the ground. Just, it's just hilarious where I, I don't remember that language when I was growing up. I think I read this is Steve Martin's only R-rated movie or one of his few R-rated movies because he, again, he, again, he wasn't super vulgar. He didn't tend to go in that arena. But yeah, this one is especially adult themed. And yeah, we'll get to that in some of these lines in the movie. But I was shocked as well that, yeah, this, this movie's a little more adult than some of his usual stuff. And there were so many, like, random sex scenes. Like, you know, in an operating room, we don't expose a woman's breasts or we don't shave a vagina for a brain surgery. I mean, just, like, hilarious stuff that's just all over the place. <laughs> yeah. For, for people who don't know this movie, there's a running gag in this movie. Steve Martin marries this woman, Kathleen Turner, who's just horrible, and she won't. She's like an ultimate gold digger. She won't consummate the marriage. They'll never have sex. What she will do instead is suggestively suck on his finger, which gives him, like, the worst case of blue balls ever. So, like, the first half hour of the movie is poor Steve Martin dry-humping anything in sight because he's so pent up. And, again, yeah, that's not where Steve Martin movies tend to go. So that's why... I've I've heard this movie described as one of the more experimental in the Steve Martin uh, genre of movies, and it really is. He's really throwing so many ideas at the wall that, again, you just kind of have to see it to believe it, and that's why I always recommend it to people. He's like tonguing an x-ray and talking about a pelvis film, how he'd like to jump those bones, and he gets random with talking about his ex-wife and... You know, how you like to eat lunch off of someone's ass. And it, it's just, you know, it's not the classic, you know, parenthood uh, Steve Martin that you, you grew up with if you're a younger kid. But, you know, when we grew up with this, it's, it's just a little more uh, cutting edge Steve Martin. Yeah, this is definitely one of the movies my parents would not have let me watch. It's, it's a little, would have been a little extreme. Again, I was only like eight or nine years old when this came out. But there is one thing I want to say here in that. 80s comedies always tend to get a big reputation. People love 80s movies. 80s movies are overrepresented anytime you hear people talk about nostalgia. But I've always been of the opinion there aren't many that many 80s movies that are that laugh out loud funny. Like they're usually cute or charming more than anything. The Man with Two Brains is one of the funniest 80s movies just on a laugh per minute basis. And again, it might not hold up as a story as well as some of the other movies or like as the jerk. But like when this movie hits, it's so goddamn funny. And that's why I will always recommend it to people. And that's why I want, this is one of the movies I felt the strongest about that we've done on Staff Picks so far. Yeah, it's like an hour and 20 minutes or an hour and 30 minutes. But there's like two hours worth of material. They shove everything in here so quick because there's so many good lines. And so many little details like Steve Martin drooling when Dr. Brandon's talking about him having sex soon. I mean, you actually just see the drool. I didn't see that till like the fourth watch. He's actually physically drooling. It's hilarious. <laughs> Following a battering ram. I mean, all these all these things are just, where do these thoughts come from? The details in the movie are fantastic. Okay, and here's the big elephant in the room we have to talk about. And that's the name, Steve Martin's character name in this movie. If there's <laughs> If there's nothing else I could recommend to people, it would be... To watch this movie just to see Steve Martin's name. And again, there's an old comedy trope, and I, I'm a big fan of Saturday Night Live, and this is something Lorne Michaels has always said on SNL, is that 
Uh, characters with funny names are not funny. It's never funny. It's just a sign of a hack comedian. And Roger Ebert would always say that, too. Characters with funny names is the surest sign of somebody who doesn't know how to write a comedy screenplay. That's just the ultimate hack, hack job of writing. In this movie, Steve Martin's character name is, and I really hope I can get this right because it's the best running gag in the movie that, they, that he will correct anybody throughout the entire movie if they say it wrong. His name is Dr. Michael Hoffar. And nice. Spelled, nice. Yeah, here we go. It is spelled H-F-U-H-R-U-H-U-R-R. And you have to say it with that little, that little pause, Hoffar. And again, it will become one of the running gags in the movie that every single person in the movie will try to pronounce his name and they'll blow it. And no matter how serious or dire the this, this scene is, he will stop to correct them because they must pronounce Hoffar correct. And again, if there's yeah. nothing else I could recommend about this movie, that is the one thing I always remember. It's the movie with that crazy name that he always has to correct. Yeah, the butler messes it up. The the, the uh, reporter right away says, you went a little past it when you're trying to say my name. And, and you know, that name. And also, we have to talk about Anna's last name. Yes, there's a secondary character, and I will give you the uh, honor in this one. How do you pronounce his girlfriend's name in this movie? Uh, Anna Umelmahe. Yeah, but you must do like the little W, the Umelmahe. Oh, that's right. That's right. Nice. Yeah, so that's... Again, it's the sign of the hack comedian that, that, that puts a funny name in there and expects it to be funny. But for some reason, Steve Martin is so good at just kind of making fun of the, the concept of comedy, the theory of comedy, that somehow he makes this work. And I don't know how he does that. I mean, I, I, it will happen 20 times during this movie, and it makes me laugh every time. I've seen this movie 20 times. It still makes me laugh every time someone has someone stumbles on his name in the movie. Yeah, it's well done. It's classic. Now, in the medical community, do you know many Dr. Hoffars? Is that a common medical name? Uh, no. Uh, there are a lot of uh, foreign medical uh, providers nowadays, but I haven't seen that name. Now, what nationality do you think Hoffar would be? Would that be like Polish or something? Yeah, I'm Hungarian. I'm not sure. Something like that. <laughs> so, Steve Martin is playing the great Hungarian doctor, Dr. Hoffar. <laughs> <laughs> and again you can hear me laughing about it <laughs> I'm not even watching the movie just saying that name the way he says it and that's such a Steve Martin thing and I will give a little bit of trivia for people who might not know this he uses that name again in another Steve Martin movie Dr. Rob I will put you on the spot do you happen to know what that is? I do not this, was, this is super nerd trivia here but in The Three Amigos a couple of years after this movie, they do a chant where they have to summon the invisible swordsman and they say a little chant and fire the gun <laughs> in the air. And Steve Martin's little chant, it literally is, Farley, 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 Hoffar. <laughs> I remember it now. That's brilliant. That's good. So there you go. Your little callback. So anyway, yeah. Let's, uh, are you ready to delve through the plot of this movie as best as we can? Because I know this is not a movie with a traditional narrative structure. Yeah, let's hit it. Okay. So this movie is the story of the world-famous brain surgeon, the top brain surgeon in the world, Dr. Michael Hoffar. And he is known for a uh, new type of brain surgery that he has invented. And uh, I, this is a very complicated medical procedure. I will let our medical expert, Dr. Rob, explain this. What is his medical procedure called the way he operates on brains? You know, this cranial screw technique, which, you know, basically you can take off the top of the brain without cutting into the brain although he uses a scalpel i'm not quite sure how he does it but it's it's uh you hear the churning and twisting as the he takes this off and you see the 
the hair flying, and it's just it's a very visualization. It's nice when he does it uh, once, but he even does a surgery where he does it two surgeries at the same time. Yes, and again, for those who have not seen this movie, he literally, it's called the screw top technique, he literally just unscrews their head like a screw. <laughs> Which, that pro I'm guessing, as a layman, that probably would not work in real life, correct, Dr. Rob? No, it's that, I don't think they teach that one anymore, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so he has this very pompous, arrogant surgeon, Dr. Hoffar, and he, <laughs> and he has invented this screw top technique, and there's, they write journals about him. He's so amazing, and he's, and like, uh, yeah, he's real pompous. There's a scene at the start of the movie where he's like, uh, narrating his, uh, biography for a news article about him, and he's trying to make it more pompous and more amazing. Just, he's just kind of a dick. Which is like, yeah. <laughs> says, take out the word probably. It makes me sound wishy washy, uh. <laughs> So you said so, surgeons tend to be arrogant. So is this is this a from your experience how a Dr. Michael Hoffar would be in real life? Yeah, his shit doesn't stink. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's right. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Dr. H, I'm going to call him for now. He has one weakness in the world besides him being being world famous and brilliant and arrogant is that he cannot find love. He had this one woman. What was her name? I always forget his first wife's name and she died. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, he's got that doll made out of her here. Yeah, look we, it up here. we're both looking at our notes. Francis. Rebecca. Rebecca. It's Rebecca. Yeah, his yeah. first wife died, Rebecca, and, and uh, they, he has all these things, these trinkets to his old wife, Rebecca. She died, and he, she left him, and he's heartbroken, and he has a painting of her in his house, and he has a little doll he made her he can talk to, and he has poems. There's this one of my favorite yeah. little things of this is this movie is that he has these poems that he and his wife used to recite and they're the stupidest poems ever and this is such a Steve Martin thing just a dumb joke just I mean a brainy joke disguised as a dumb joke here we go uh, do you remember the two poems yeah pointy birds and probably in Dillman's Grove is those that you're gonna do yes I will uh, I'll read one of them I'll read in Dillman's Grove here we go this was one of the poems that Steve Martin and Rebecca used to, re to recite to each other. In Dillman's Grove, my love did die, and now in ground she'll ever lie. None could e'er erase her visage until your face brought thoughts of kissage. <laughs> that was well done. That yeah. was well done. And again, that's that's that's, that's such a Steve Martin type of comedy because that's such an, a randomly brainy yet stupid poem, and he just has so much I fun reading it. I think they're real. Yeah, is that that's real? I I think it is because I saw something, the complete poems of John Lillison from England in the 1890s, the first person ever to die in a car crash, it said. And then the next poem, I'll read the next one here, Pointy Bird. Oh, pointy birds, oh, pointy, pointy, anoint my head, anointy, nointy. It's beautiful. That's it? A tear to my eye. Beautiful. <laughs> it did. <laughs> or a bird dropping in your head or something, yeah. No, wait. You're saying those are real poems? He didn't make those up for the movie? There's no way. Yeah. I mean, we should probably uh, fact check that, but that's I, I thought I looked that up. <laughs> okay. I, I refuse to believe that, but we will look this up after the podcast to see if... All right. Oh, you can uh, eliminate it, yeah. Anoint my bird, anoint, anoint my head, anointy, nointy. We'll see if that is indeed a real <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, yeah, so, so Dr. H and his wife Rebecca, and he's just a single lonely guy, and one day he's driving down the street, and he hits a woman, and it happens to be Kathleen Turner, and uh, we I talked about Kathleen Turner on my, uh, uh, what was it, uh, uh, 
Peggy Sue Got Married podcast. One of the biggest actresses of her era. Absolutely beautiful, gorgeous, always played like a sex siren or something. In this one, she's like the biggest gold digger ever. Like, she just married a rich guy, and she like... Lie, I forget, but she's like messing with his head, trying to get him to die so he'll leave all his money in her will. And she's running away from him in the yard, and she runs out in the street and gets hit by the car, and Dr. Hoffar accidentally kills her. And this will lead to the whole plot of the movie that he's hits this woman, and he's going to fall in love with her. Yep, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of going back in time here. I think uh, Steve Martin was 37, and she was uh, 28, and she was just smoking hot here. And one of those actresses that just... Had everything going for her at the time. Yeah. And I love that Steve Martin was 37 and he had snowy white hair already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was one of those guys that had, like, white hair when he was in high school, I bet. It, it's funny when he hits her. Did you catch what the uh, what uh, Steve Martin says when he uh, the reporter says, watch out, and he, he hits her? No, what does he say? I, I had to turn on the subtitles. He says, bye-bye. <laughs> and I have no idea why he says bye-bye, but it's bye-bye. <laughs> I can only assume it's some great Mensa line, uh, meaning to that line that only Steve Martin could decipher. <laughs> All right, so now we come to what I would argue is one of the five funniest scenes in the movie. In fact, the director of this movie, Carl Reiner, has gone on record, you may not know this, Dr. Rob, that he said out of all the movies, the comedy movies he's ever done or seen, this might be his all-time favorite scene where Steve Martin confronts the little girl on the sidewalk. It's my top on, on this podcast. I wrote it word for word, too. It is brilliant. It's awesome. Okay, I'm going to let Dr. Rob – I didn't write it down word for word, but this is such a fantastically wonderful, almost like airplane or, or young Frankenstein scene right here where Dr. H has hit this woman, and she needs immediate medical attention. So he runs to the first person, the only witness to this accident, and there's a little four-year-old girl standing on the sidewalk, and she just got this wonderfully deadpan, dull-eyed face – just an amazing kid actor, and I will let you walk through the scene, which is guaranteed to make me laugh every time I hear it. All right, here we go. Uh, Steve Martin's sitting there, and, and instantly he checks the pulse of the of the beautiful woman on the ground, Kathleen Turner. She's not not doing anything. Checks her pulse, turns to the little girl who's just standing there, I think, with like a bear or maybe a uh, a blanket or something like that. He says, "Little girl," and she says, "Yes, sir." She says, "I want you to do something very important." All right, okay. Uh, I want you to run home. Call the ER of North Park General Hospital, 932-1000. Tell them to set up OR6 immediately and contact anesthesiologist Isidore Turek, 472-2112, beep 12. Then have them send an ambulance with paramedics, crew, light IV D5, and W, KVO. You got it? So what does the little girl do? She repeats it word for word perfectly. Steve Martin says, that's good. Little girl says, sounds like it's a subdural hematoma to me. Oh, it does, does it? Well, it's not your job to diagnose, little girl. But I thought, but I thought. You thought, you thought. Three years of nursery school and you think you know it all. Well, you're still wet behind the ears. It's not a subdural hematoma. It's an epidural. Ha! God damn, that makes me mad. <laughs> such a great scene. I hope somebody has uploaded that scene specifically onto YouTube so people could watch it. But just watch the timing and just the interaction between Steve Martin and the little girl. And <laughs> I was reading some trivia on that scene, Carl Reiner. I'm not sure if you've heard this one, Dr. Rob, that Carl Reiner said the greatest thing about that scene is that little girl nailed that speech in one take. 
She absolutely oh memorized the entire thing because he was like, we're working with this girl. And she, like, she wasn't really a trained actor. She was just some kid they kind of grabbed. And they like she had to repeat all this complicated medical jargon and all these directives and stuff. And she got it amazingly on the first try. And he's like, it's the most it's the greatest thing I've ever seen an actor pull off. And he's like, well, you know, you think a little girl would have to read that off a cue card. And he's like, but she was four. She couldn't read that off a cue card. There's no way she had to memorize that. And she got it on the first try. And again, it's one yeah. of these standout moments in this movie. And does it uh, hold up to medical scrutiny? Would that indeed be an epidural hematoma? Yes, she was absolutely right. It's funny because I showed that in my office and preparing for this to like five different people who came in and they left all crying and laughing. But yeah, that's that's perfectly accurate. It's hilarious. So wait, who was accurate? Was Dr. Hafar or was the girl accurate? The Dr. Hafar was accurate. Okay, so that girl, I mean, she had the best of intentions, but she was just a fucking idiot, basically. <laughs> she didn't have her medical school done yet. Yes. Yeah, just such a little Steve Martin scene and moment that he gets in a complicated medical debate with a four-year-old. So, yeah, so uh, Kathleen Turner, her name is Dolores, just this horrible, evil, beautiful woman gold digger. She is rushed into brain surgery, and he, of course, being the, the preeminent surgeon in the world, is able to do her his little screw-top technique and save her, and he brings her back to life, and he instantly falls in love with her as, you know, when people, like in Back to the Future, when, when uh, uh, what's her face, uh, Lorraine's father crashes into Marty and then she falls in love with him. It's the same type of thing here where right. Dr. H falls in love with Dolores and she, of course, is this horrible person. She wakes up. She's like, where am I? And he's like, well, I love you. <laughs> so really, this is going to be the whole plot of the movie that he's in love with this horrible person now. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to, you know, they're prepping her for that and they're shaving her vagina and the the uh, interns are kind of confused and lost and there's a great line in there and it says what's that supposed to be a heart i never want to see that again suppose if it was christmas you'd hang a wh ornament on it and so he, he leaves and and uh after that even the the director of the hospitals saying you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, work on this uh, lady you know you just she was involved in an accident with you you know we need beckerman and of course uh, beckerman is this other neuro the brilliant neurosurgeon but he was just mur murdered in europe and that'll lead to a later part in the plot yeah, okay, so what happens is is Dolores wakes up, and she has no idea where she is. Her old rich husband has died. She's kind of screwed now. She doesn't have a, a rich benefactor, <laughs> and she learns that the person who hit her and saved her is a rich doctor, and so she will instantly start trying to seduce him into loving her. So she does the thing where she where he's, like, hovering over her, and she'll move the uh, electric bed up so he ends up forced to kiss her. <laughs> and he, he ends up reading all their favorite po all his favorite poems, like Dillman's Grove and Pointy yeah. Birds to her, and they start courting and there's another signature scene in this movie is in you know dr h is now the second woman in his life he's fallen in love with so he goes home and he's got this painting of rebecca his old wife on the wall another standout scene in this movie he's like i've fallen in love with this other woman i hope i hope it's okay and he's like uh i'll let you walk through this one because i know you probably have this one written down as well word uh, word. yeah he's looking for absolution he's, he's talking to his wife's portrait and he he wants to know that it's okay that he can kind of move on without her and he says uh anything wrong with my feelings for dolores just give me a sign any sign so this big portrait starts spinning and thunder starts clapping and the wind starts blowing and his hair's all blown back and all after everything stops he sits there and goes just send me any kind of sign i'll keep looking for it 
Just just send me a sign. Meanwhile, I'll just put your poster, your 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 portrait in the closet for now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so all the universe is telling Dr. Hoffar that this is a bad <laughs> idea and he's ignoring it. He's choosing to ignore it. I, I see no signs. This this will of course will work out great. I see no problem with this. So they end up uh getting married and the only condition of course is that well, I'll marry you, but I'm in a wheelchair and I can't walk, so there will be no sex. And he's like, Well, I guess that'll be okay. <laughs> And meanwhile, she's like banging everybody around his compound. She's banging the gardener. She's banging everyone. Yeah, Juan. <laughs> yeah, so she's just this horrible person teasing him. Oh, I can't have sex. Oh, and then one time he catches her walking around as she's flirting with the gardener. And she's like, I wanted to walk to surprise you. <laughs> and again, she's, she's really funny in this. I really like Kathleen Turner in this. And their their dynamic is really the best part of this movie. I'd argue the first half of this movie is funnier than the second half. Would you kind of agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah. yeah, it really goes, it's straight comedy. It's it's 100% straight comedy for the first half, and then the second half is a little more romantic and just kind of, uh, it's, it's still goofy, but it's a little more serious. But again, this is such a short movie, it's barely 90 minutes. It's one of the shortest movies we've done so far. But yeah, these Kathleen Turner just flirting and blue-balling uh, Dr. Huffar. <laughs> see, it's always funny. I'm going to keep doing that because it's always funny. <laughs> okay, here's one of my favorite jokes. As a comedy writer, this is the kind of stuff that really makes me happy. As they they pull up to the house, the uh, house of, as he says, "Welcome to the house of Hafar," and they pull up, and and she sees the gardeners, these two Mexican gardeners on the porch, and she's like, uh, "What are those assholes doing there?" And Steve kind of giggles. He's like, "He's like, it's pronounced azaleas," because he thinks she's talking about the flowers. <laughs> Yeah, if you're, again, if you like comedy writing that makes comedy writers laugh, right there, assholes to azaleas. That is a wonderful line right there. Great stick. Okay, so Dolores has been married. She's now Mrs. Dolores. And they uh, go back to the house. And now it is her whole mission in life to get wrapped up in his world, get all his money, and just never put out or consummate the marriage ever. So, yeah, the next 20, 30 minutes is just her, again, just constantly blue-balling him. And we, we get this running joke where, where he'll shush her. He'll put his finger to her mouth when she's saying something, and she'll instantly suck on his finger as if she's, you know, performing fellatio here. And he's so <laughs> turned on by this he can't he's so distracted he can't concentrate on anything else so we'll see scene after scene of her sucking on his finger and him visibly getting boners and stuff like there's a scene where he's, he's got a, a hat on his lap hat. yeah Steve yeah. sitting there and she's sucking on his finger and he stands up and the hat just remains in place it's like being held by like a little coat hook as if like his boners holding the hat yeah. up. it's such a great visual gag and then he walks over to the window and you hear a crash as, like, his boner goes through the window. <laughs> yeah. He says the breeze feels good. <laughs> and like you said, this, good. Is, yeah, this is not traditionally Steve Martin humor. He tends not to go that sexual, but it's really funny. Again, like I keep saying, there aren't that many really laugh-out-loud funny movies in the 80s. And this one, when it's hitting, is so funny, and this stretch is the best. That's good. So eventually Doris, or eventually Dolores comes to a point where, okay, I have to put out, I guess I finally have to consummate the marriage. It's been like six weeks and Steve and poor Dr. H is like banging the wall at work and he just he can't concentrate. And then she says, well, okay, tonight come home from work and we'll consummate the marriage. And he's so excited. That's the day that you said earlier, he does the two different screw top brain techniques in one day. And then he comes home and, uh, 
they do nothing, right? She basically... <laughs> she, right. Yeah, they end up doing nothing. So even on the consummation night, she makes an excuse, well, we can't do it tonight. And he's just going absolutely insane. So he's, he's so turned on and just pent up that the other doctors at the clinic, as you may have seen in your clinic when doctors are not getting any at home, he's like making <laughs> out with x-rays and trying to deep throw out these CAT scans. And the head doctor... Dry humping yeah, the wall. Yeah, and the head doctor's like, well... Perhaps you need a vacation. You seem a little pent up. So he sends Dr. Hafar and his wife to Austria. They're going to go on vacation for a couple weeks. And this is where the second half of the movie will really start, where Steve is going to uh, fall in love with somebody else. Yeah. And before he goes, he says, I know in the finger-sucking department I'm extremely satisfied, but he needs to consummate this this marriage is what he needs. Okay, so they go to Austria, Dr. H and his wife, and it's a, like a honeymoon, and he's all excited because honeymoon means sex, and he hasn't had sex ever, so he's just absolutely just turned on, and they get to the hotel there, and, and like the, the <laughs> another great Steve Martin scene here with the, the hotel, uh, the, the desk clerk there asks him, uh, oh, welcome to the hotel, how long are, will you guys be here? And he's like, well, this is our honeymoon, and he goes, I'd like you to put a do not disturb sign on the wall. And the, the front desk clerk is like, well, how long should it be? Would you like to do not disturb on there? And, and Steve Martin's like going through the all these steps of foreplay and sex in his head. He's like, let's see, there's five minutes to run my hands down her creamy thighs. And then two minutes we'll be doing a little oral sex. Like He's naming off all the stuff they're going to do. He calculates the time frame and the, the poor uh, bellhops are all uh, they're all horny as well after he's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, again, just. The Steve Martin, Kathleen Turner stuff, just so funny. And then what happens is Steve Martin, Dr. H, is going to get invited to the symposium, this uh, symposium of famous brain surgeons in Austria. And this is where he meets another man, Dr. Michael Necessiter, who's like apparently the European champion of brain surgery, as if Steve Martin would be the the American champion. And they end up going to like his uh, laboratory. He gets to go meet Dr. Necessiters. This, I mean, we're, we're getting more into the more technical medical stuff. So I may lean on you a little here, Dr. Rob, once we get to this part. Sounds good. Okay, yeah. So Dr. Necessiter has this big laboratory where he's doing this thing where he can take a brain out of one person, keep it alive in a jar, and then transport it into another host, and it's going to be a uh, monkey eventually as the host. But that's kind of irrelevant to the plot. The two important parts here are this laboratory he's got set in a castle, which is one of my favorite things of any 80s comedy movie, and then we'll get to the brains here. But let's talk about this castle first. Leaping lizards, you bet. <laughs> Yeah, again, yeah, so, okay, I'm trying to explain this. How would you explain this scene to people who have never seen it before? Well, it's kind of like walking up to a small building and having a huge building inside it and kind of saying, you know, I'm expecting Frankenstein's laboratory, and sure enough, it's there. You just had to go through the correct door and, and see the whole lab. You yeah. got the drawbridge inside. You got the moat with the alligator. You got the lizards. And, you know, it's a problem with the the – the walls are too thin and the neighbors can scream at each other and it's you know it's just it's not built like a castle really yeah yeah this it's it's again like an airplane joke i keep bringing up airplane but yeah he steve martin's going to this guy's lab this the biggest the most famous brain surgeon in austria and it's literally like a condo it looks like an apartment and steve's like oh that's weird i thought i figured a man like you would have like a laboratory like a castle like dr frankenstein and they literally open the door to the condo and inside there's an entire castle which is just a little visual gag. And yeah, like you had, you'd given away one of the best jokes there. Just a little throwaway kind of like airplane joke where Steve's inside. He's like, wow, leaping lizards. And the doctor's like, well, we have those too. And they point and there's two little lizards <laughs> off to the side hopping over each other. Which is such a dumb little like uh, 
turn of phrase humor that was popular at that time, and I just love that one. Yeah. Other phrase that, that actually we use in medical, it's kind of funny. I'll, I'll step back and you can cut and paste this, but the one phrase that's kind of really funny is before they – uh, when they're doing the lecture in front of all the uh, smart intellectuals in Europe, they start murmuring. Oh yeah. And and he asks them, what, "What are you doing? What are they saying?" Oh, they're just saying, "Mama, what, 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 mama, 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 mama." And so we even do that when we're joking around in the hospital clinic. What, what did that person say? Uh, mama, mama, mama. <laughs> yeah, that's in fact that's almost a ripoff of a joke that Mel Brooks did in Blazing Saddles. You know the uh, the harumph. Oh. Joke. Maybe that's what I'm remembering it from. I don't know. Okay, yeah. There's a scene in Blazing Saddles where where uh, the governor says something unpopular, and all the people in the audience are like, "Harumph, harumph, harumph." And Mel Brooks is like, "What are they saying? Oh, they're just saying harumph." And that's literally almost the exact same joke that Steve Martin does here, where <laughs> everyone just says, "Murmur, murmur, murmur, murmur." And I, <laughs> I I've seen Trey Parker and Matt Stone kind of rip off that type of joke before in South Park. It's just a very yeah very joke writery type of joke that gets reused. But yeah, it's really funny the murmuring. In this one okay so once he's in dr necessitor's lab there's all sorts of crazy things going on there again it's a big castle and the doctor says oh it, we have paper thin walls people the, the neighbors can hear us through the walls and it's this will lead to some very funny jokes later in the movie with the the walls literally being paper thin where people will just start walking through them but there's a visual gag here where Dr. Necessitor gives Steve Martin a, uh, a drink. I forget the name of it, Tahitian something or like that. Tahitian lady, yep. A Tahitian lady. Yep. And it's just a yep. visual gag of Steve Martin drinking out of a martini, but with a straw that's like three feet long. <laughs> <laughs> He's just walking around playing it completely straight and having a serious a medical a conversation with medical terminology while drinking from a yeah. three-foot straw into a martini. <laughs> Okay, so here in the, in the castle, we see Dr. Necessitor's uh, experiments, and this is really where this movie kind of becomes what it's going to become, is that he has all these brains in a jar, kind of like you would see in these old sci-fi movies in the 50s, and they're all in different colored jars, and they're just floating there, and one of the brains can talk, and all of a sudden, it starts communicating to Steve Martin, and they have a telepathy. There's a woman in there named, as we uh, said earlier, uh, Anne is her first name, Anne yep, yep. Uh, yeah, and I think that voice is Sissy Spacek, I think I saw in one of the things. I didn't yeah. Yeah, it's an uncredited Sissy Spacek doing the voice of Anne O'Melmahay. And so she and Dr. H start having this telepathy and they can talk, and she is this woman who's trapped in a jar. She doesn't realize where she is or what happened to her, that apparently she was murdered. There's a uh we will find out later there's like a serial killing going along in Austria at the time, this guy called the elevator killer who's murdering <laughs> people by injecting uh, glass cleaner into their buttock, buttocks and that keeps the brain alive. Is that is that a known medical thing that glass cleaner keeps the brain alive? No. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Okay, I just wanted to check on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so she's in this jar and she's kind of scared and again, this movie actually gets kind of sad at times where it's almost like not comic for a while where she's like, I'm so scared, I'm lost and lonely and like he is in love with her. He falls in love with her and they start communicating telepathically and this will lead to basically the last half hour of this movie where he's trying to figure out what happened to her, how she got in there and this, again, that's the title of this movie, The Man with Two Brains. It was It's kind of a play on these old 50s sci-fi movies, The Man with X, but literally he does have two brains he has his own and then he's got the one with her the other one that he's in love with and that's this will drive the entire second part of this movie all right a couple things i've skipped over here the uh 
the scene where Dr. Necessitor meets Dr. Michael Hathar and they start exchange, uh, trading medical theory for a while, there's a couple things I'm sure you would appreciate here. Where, uh, where one of the doctors argues if it's ethical to be killing people to get their brains. And uh, Dr. H says, the only death we should accept as doctors is from our own incompetence. Yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> Do you have that on a plaque in like your wall in your office somewhere? It's not on the Hippocratic Oath. I know that. but. Uh... <laughs> yeah. And then the other one is Dr. Necessitor argues, if the murder of 12 innocent people can save one human life, it will have been worth it. <laughs> those are awesome <laughs> yeah again that's there's doctor humor for you right there and that's acceptable losses yeah. yeah and again those are lines you wouldn't even realize are jokes until you think about them for a second both of them are said so straight and it's almost like again like dr rumack and airplane that it just, you, know, you don't realize how ridiculous those quotes are yeah did you know that uh i was i was looking at the first the first person he killed in the elevator was uh actually carl reiner's wife Estelle. Was that his wife? I know his mom gets killed too. That was his wife first. That was well. The actress was 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 really his wife. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah, there's yeah. yeah the the elevator killing in this movie will become important. I'm gonna I'm gonna save that until the end because that's a joke that is okay. Been, it's a little dated and most people won't even get that one. But it's the one joke I think that doesn't really work in here. The elevator killer and who he is. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, so Dr. H has fallen in love, or he's intrigued by this brain that's talking to him, and apparently it's all telepathic. Nobody else can hear the brain, and she can't hear anybody but him. They just have this weird connection. And what happens is he goes back to his uh, hotel room, and he finds his wife there. She's, like, giving, like, ass modeling lessons or something, Dolores. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. $15,000 for some Italian, I think, to touch her ass or something like that. She says, don't you want me to work or have some money to, on my own? <laughs> yes. Dolores has reached a new low. Not only is she not putting out for her husband, but now she's letting other men touch her ass and draw pictures of it. <laughs> I just, just the craziness of this movie, it, just, it, it sounds ridiculous when I'm explaining it, but it fits the plot of the movie very well. She needs her mad money, I guess, huh? <laughs> yes. So D Dr. H is horrified that Dolores is finally, she will not only not respect him and the vows of marriage, now she's letting other men touch her. So he performs a citizen's divorce. Oh, God, yeah, yes. He does this little thing where he waves his arms, I, I divorce thee or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Uh, let's see here. There's, there, he did it a couple times. Citizen annulment, is that the or? Yeah, we had the citizen's divorce here, and then there's a citizen's annulment later, and then he does a citizen's re-divorce later. That apparently this is a thing that doctors have this kind of power. I'm not sure. Do you have that kind of power as a doctor that you can? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Yes. No and void e pluribus unum. I'm not quite sure what the money has to do with anything. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, if you know, if if twelve marriages don't work out and end in failure, then the one that does make it is all worth it. <laughs> okay, so he's breaking up with Dolores. He's he's just fed up with her, and he's in love with this lady in the jar. And unfortunately, the, there's going to be a plot twist here where Dolores Kathleen Turner is going to realize that Doctor Hahar is about to receive this huge inheritance. So she decides she's going to turn on the charms again and get him to fall back in love with her. And so uh, <laughs> this is the scene where she'll go out on a ledge and pretend to kill herself. And Dr. H comes back and she's like, help, help, I'm going to kill myself. And so, uh, again, it's just the one of the goofier scenes in this movie in a movie that's already goofy to begin with is the suction cup scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, I will I will let you describe this one because you probably have the more uh, precise notes on this one. But that, explain how Steve Martin will use his hands to suction cup to his wife. Well, she's across this kind of stretch up seven stories up in the air, and and he doesn't see it, but she's actually attached to a hook. Um, but anyway, he he licks his his palms and kind of makes him a cup, and he starts uh, basically moving hand over hand across this ledge. Uh, and they show his feet dangling as the there's nothing really to stand on effectively. And he gets all the way over there and she climbs on his back and he works his way back over. And as he does a hand over hand, he's starting to lose his grip. And so he sticks his hand right on Kathleen Turner's face and she licks his hand and they make it all the way across. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny how how much of a prominent part of the plot Kathleen Turner's mouth is to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finger-sucking and suction cups, yeah. I wonder if that was in the contract. Yeah, and I have to point out, this was really, I think, her second movie. She did the first movie, Kathleen Turner. Again, I'm a huge fan of Kathleen Turner. I love the uh, the impact she had on cinema in the 80s. But her first movie was Body Heat in like 1981 or 82, and she played like this sultry sex symbol. And then this was her second movie, so this was really her first time doing comedy. So that's the kind of the con the context you kind of have to remember this movie, and that she's doing comedy for the first time, and she's really funny in it. Just I... I, I can't say enough about her and Steve Martin's chemistry in this movie. Yeah, and she nailed some big movies after this, Romance with Stone, Pritzi's Honor. I mean, she had some big stuff after this, too. So Yeah, I think in, in Peggy Sue Got Married podcast, we are, I argued that she was probably the biggest female star of that era. And it's it's one of those things she just, I don't know if you know what happened to her, but as a doctor, you'd appreciate this. She got rheumatoid arthritis, and she it became so painful that she really couldn't act for about five years. Yeah, she drank a lot of alcohol instead, and fortunately, I think it said she went into remission, so yeah, um, yeah, she got an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress, it said, and that Peggy Sue got married, so that was a big deal. Yeah, no, she's fantastic, and again, it's one of those things, she got this illness, and it was just before they really had a, a good treatment for that, and yeah, and by the time right. she was ready to work again, she'd gotten older and gained weight, and you kind of, the thing with women in Hollywood is there's a, there's a kind of a, a fixed age where they stop hiring you anymore. You play grandmas instead of like the sexy wife. And she was to that age now. So that's it's yeah, it's just a very unfortunate situation. But again, if you want to see Kathleen Turner smoking hot and absolutely hilarious, this is one of her peak movies. Oh, yeah, she's amazing in this movie. OK, so here we go. Kathleen Turner is about to meet her downfall. So Kathleen Turner is back in the good graces. She's back in with Dr. And uh, and so and so Dr. H has taken the brain. He's gone back to Dr. Necessitor's lab and he's taken the brain because he's worried about her. He's in love with this woman in, the, in this brain in the jar. And he kind of takes her and puts her in a closet and they move out to this countryside. He he decides he wants to be with both women and he's going to try to, uh, you know, appease Dolores during the day and send her off to go shopping. And then he can sit and have intellectual discussions with the brain. And they just talk about poetry and art and wonder and works of uh, works of art and stuff like that so this will become the rest of the movie he'll be out in the countryside with these two women and then at one point dolores will catch steve martin in the brain out in a boat he's like going going on a little picnic with the brain in the jar and they're on a little on a little boat and he has a little straw summer hat on her and, it, and then she asks him to put little lips on the on the uh jar so he can kiss it so he's falling in love with this brain and kathleen turner gets jealous and this will lead to one of the more one of the signature scenes in this movie the scum queen scene Oh, God, that's hilarious. Okay, I'll let you do this one. Go walk us through the Scum Queen scheme. It's, this is one, again, I didn't really grow up with this movie. I didn't see it until a couple of years after it happened. But I've, if you read a lot of reviews of this one, you hear people say, 
that uh, that this line coming up, scum into the mud, scum queen, was like the first time they'd ever heard that word scum or something like that. And so like it became part of people's lexicon for a while that this was such a odd turn of phrase to have in a movie. So Steve Martin gets a message that Grandma Noonie died, and and that pisses him off because Kathleen Turner didn't tell him that any of this information. So he's trying to figure out that she's a gold digger, and he says it's citizens' divorce time, final decree. So they have this big spat, and Kathleen Turner grabs the brain and puts it in the oven, and Anne's calling for things, and she's calling out loud for him telepathically, and and uh, walks back into the area, uh, to the kitchen, and Kathleen Turner's sitting there, and he's trying to figure out where uh, Anne's brain is, and and she uses a French cooking term. He's, she's cooking cervelle à bourrée noir, and he's thinking, what the heck does that mean? And finally, Steve Martin says, it's brains in black butter and he pulls out her brain out of the out of the uh and he's trying to make sure that Anne's brain is working so it says count to ten one two three four five six seven eight ten she goes you cooked your nines and that just enrages him one last time so he takes her to the door and he just basically throws her out in this huge pile of of uh, mud and goo that's out there he says into the mud uh, scum queen and tosses her into the mud and there you go, Kathleen Turner's face first plant into the mud with Steve Martin yelling, Into the mud, scum queen! Which is one of the <laughs> signature moments of this movie. And and she's horrified, she vows revenge, you embarrassed me, you threw me in the mud. And from this point on, she's going to kill her husband. But there's a more pressing issue for Dr. Hawar at this point, in that Anne, her brain has been put in the oven and she's starting to die, and he finds out from Dr. Necessitor, you know, these brains don't live very long, so... Like he, like nobody else is aware that he's communicating with his brain, but Doctor H is aware this brain's gonna die. They need to put it into a body soon because they can only last out in uh, the world for so long. Which I'm assuming all this is medically sound. All this is backed up in textbooks, Doctor Rob. Yeah, uh, maybe the surgical textbooks. I guess I'll have to ask my surgeons. Yeah, I don't know. Are you even gonna talk to the surgeons? I kind of get the sense you don't get along with them. Yeah, I don't think they actually have textbooks, so I'll just have to ask them. <laughs> Wait, if they don't have textbooks, where are these surgeons learning stuff? Good point. That's right. Maybe from yeah. this movie. That's right. <laughs> yeah, this movie is the textbook. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, Dr. H takes the brain to back to Dr. Necessitor, and he's like, you know, I took this brain, and I apologize, but we, we have to get this into a body soon. Like, there's a woman in here, and she's dying, and... This is, again, the line that you dropped earlier in the podcast. I'll, I'll let you explain this one because it just comes out of nowhere. And, again, you don't hear a lot of F-words in Steve Martin movies, but this this is a well-placed one, I will say. Yeah, so, so Steve Martin wants to, he wants to be uh, join the brains. He wants his brain taken out of his body and put in a tank right next to Anne's brain. And, and Necessitor says his research hasn't advanced enough that he can put, the, put those minds together. So he says he can put the mind into a body of a gorilla. And he says, I couldn't fuck a gorilla. And he says, wait, there's an alternative. In the other room, there's two people I've done this with, but all they do is kind of drool on themselves and make raspberry noises. And so, of course, that's not good enough for Steve Martin. <laughs> yes. But again, that is – the timing of that joke is so amazing. <laughs> the other doctors like, yeah, I could, I could put her brain into a gorilla. And Steve Martin just kind of gets confused. He's like, but I couldn't fuck a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> it is a timing. That's awesome. 
Okay. Although we're leaving out one of my favorite jokes in the movie, the running jokes. And we talked about it earlier that Dr. Necessitor's lab, it's literally a castle. It's literally just like Dr. Frankenstein's lab, but you can hear neighbors screaming through the walls. And then the doctor says, Oh, these castles, it looks thick, but these, these walls are paper thin and they literally are paper thin. There's two scenes right here in the movie where Steve Martin's leaning on a wall and he just falls right through it. Cause it's literally just contact paper. <laughs> there's another one where he yeah. walks right through a door just face first right through it because it's so thin and it's just it's such a stupid joke but it's like it's I mean it's so uh, what's the word there it's just so literal and I love literal jokes I, I, I joked about that in, in my top secret podcast I love just literal wordplay jokes like that where oh these walls are paper thin and, and he they literally are you walk right through them yeah, the butler was trying to fix one. He brought a door back up, and he walks back out as he's stealing a brain. It's just, it's hilarious. Yeah. And they don't linger on those jokes. They just kind of happen, and you just, it's very matter of fact that people were walking through walls. Okay, so, so uh, we get the last twenty minutes of this movie where uh, where Steve is frantically, Doctor H is frantically looking for a body to put this brain in, and his wife Dolores is frantically trying to kill him. She wants to murder him because he's embarrassed her, and she buys a gun. And so, and so Steve kind of, Dr. H kind of turns into Dr. Frankenstein. And I, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not one to judge, but I'm guessing this happens at least one time in every doctor's career, Dr. Rob, where you basically become Dr. Frankenstein and you're looking for fresh bodies that you can experiment on. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I dragged my leg like Igor, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it happens it's late night. You're on call. Yeah. It's like a phase. It's like one of these, uh, behavioral or I don't know. It's like a phase. <laughs> <laughs> Call it residency. Yes, it's residency. Where you become a cadaver hunter and you're out digging through graveyards looking for bodies. That is an expected part of the residency for every doctor. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so so he's around. He's looking for fresh bodies. And, and there's a, a fun little montage here of Dr. H going around Austria looking for just the right body that he can put this brain into. And they all have to be, like, just hot enough. And so he's, like, he's like literally just walking around the street looking at women's asses. <laughs> he just <laughs> walks behind them and stares at them, which I'm pretty sure would get you get you a lot of negative attention on Twitter nowadays if you were to do that. But hey, you're okay here in 83. That's expected behavior. Yeah. It's like no conversation. He's like checking teeth like they're horses or something. He's just <laughs> kind of walking up to these whores and picking through the products, it looks like. <laughs> and there's this great scene where there's one absolutely beautiful woman outside a bar, and she gets hit by a motorcycle and Steve's like, yes, he sees this beautiful woman getting nailed by a motorcycle. He runs over. He's going to take her body and put the brain in it. And then she comes back to life and he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tries to murder her. No, she's got to she's got to stop that. That lady was uh, Stephanie Kramer from the TV show Hunter. Absolutely. I That's, noticed that as well. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Okay, so eventually it's all going to come to a head in the elevator. And again, we've had this running gag in this movie that there's this elevator killer killing people in Austria all th all all throughout these months. And although I guess we forgot to point out the running gag about the elevator that Steve Martin's in in his hotel, how it never actually reaches the floor that it's trying to go to. Yeah, and he's kind of like dropping his bag and worming through these holes and up and down. Yeah, it's physical comedy is perfect for him. <laughs> Just a fun little visual gag that he has this elevator and it never, never actually reaches the floor. It's either too high or too low. So he's constantly trying to crawl in and out of these dumb elevators. So anyway, he goes into the elevator and the elevator killer happens to be there and his wife Dolores happens to be in there and she's just been murdered by the elevator killer. And this is where we learn that the elevator killer, this guy who's been killing all these people by injecting them with window cleaner is actually talk show host Merv Griffin. 
<laughs> yeah, if you want a joke that's dated that you your eight year old son will not get, try explaining that joke to him. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and I think early 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 in the movie there was even on the I think early with uh, Kathleen Turner was like had TV on. She was watching a TV show and they had the Merv Griffin show on there, so kind of foreshadowed Merv being the killer. Yeah. <laughs> So for people who don't know, Merv Griffin was a talk show host in the 70s and into the early 80s. And again, that joke would be very funny in 1983 that Merv Griffin is the the elevator killer. That would be like like uh, Jimmy Kimmel being the elevator killer now yeah. or something like that. But yeah, yeah, so that's the one joke I think maybe doesn't hold up as well. That's the problem when you do topical jokes like that. So anyway, Dolores, Steve Martin's beautiful yet evil wife, has been murdered, and he's so excited. He he takes the body. He's going to rush this back because even though he hates her guts, she's still smoking hot. So he's like, hey, I'll just put the brain into this body. It'll be awesome. So he takes the body and he's rushing over to the hospital or to the lab to get the transplant done. And this is where we get another. There's about five standout signature scenes in this movie. And this is another one, the breathalyzer test. Oh, God. Yeah, the police pull him over. Yeah, I'll let, it's you, hilarious. I'll let you walk people through this one. So I'll, I'll, I'll lead up people up to it is that Steve Martin gets pulled over by these cops in Austria. And they see his wife passed out in the car, Kathleen Turner. She's actually dead, but they think she's drunk. And they wonder if uh, Dr. Hoffar is drunk, too. And so they put him through the most complicated breathalyzer test ever in the history of cinema. Yeah, so they, they make him stretch out his arms, touch his nose, walk the white line. Then they make him walk on his hands on the wa white line and then jump on one hand on the white line. Then roll over, do some flips, and then he has to juggle tap dance and seeing the Magdalena Lupensteiner Wallenbeiner science uh, song. And then after that, he, he uh, basically passes without a problem and says, God damn, your drunk tests are hard and sits in his car and he's ready to take off. And of course, that's when uh, Kathleen Turner falls into his lap and they realize that she's not sleeping, but she's dead. Yeah, that. And again, that is a scene that would absolutely would have fit in airplane two years early two years earlier and that's why i always compare this movie to airplane it really is in the same spirit this not only the 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 breathalyzer test where he's doing all these crazy things but right before that there's literally a scene where the cops are speaking to steve martin in german or something and, yeah and then the subtitles are at the bottom of the screen and then steve says oh i speak english they're like oh well we don't have to do the subtitles anymore so the subtitles <laughs> just disappear and they're like look yeah. we have so much extra room at the bottom of the screen now <laughs> I mean, that is just such a little making fun of the conventions of movies that only like someone like steve martin or the zucker brothers or mel brooks would have come up with so i just have to call yeah. it that that is a, an especially brainy joke right there i love it when they step out of the movie it's kind of like turn to the crowd and have a conversation and then get back to the movie yeah Okay, so again, this is only a 90-minute movie. We're just about done, and we get to the last scene with Steve Martin trying to frantically get the brain of Miss Emil Mahay put into Dolores, and like the cops are chasing after him. They know he's got a dead body, and this is the scene I think you had referred to earlier where we're outside the castle, and Steve Martin's inside, and they're doing the transplant, and the cops are trying to bust into the castle to stop it, and they need a battering ram. And of course, as oh, yeah. as you do in Austria, if you need a battering ram, you just go next door and ask the elderly woman, "Do you have a battering ram?" And she's like, "Okay, but bring it back." <laughs> so she just <laughs> hands them a big battering ram, and they come busting <laughs> through the wall. And it's even funnier because once they get through the door, they keep running like the momentum of the battering ram will carry you. And because the walls are paper thin in this castle, they just keep going all the way through the back wall, and they run out of the building and fall into a swimming pool. <laughs> So I appreciate the paper thin joke has continued. Yeah. They got their value out of that one for sure. <laughs> yes. 
So, again, just so many little gags and quips and just little making fun of movie conventions going on here that this is such a, again, a, a young Frankenstein type movie, uh, airplane type movie. And in the end, the, the brain transplant is successful and, and uh, Steve Martin somehow winds up in a coma. I kind of forget he falls out the building or something. And yeah. he, he wakes up. And he's like, where's my wife? And they're like, well, she's right outside. And they're like, and he's like, which brain does she have in her? And so it's, it's Kathleen Turner there, but of course with Marianne O'Melmahay's brain in her. But she's much fatter now. So now we get fat Kathleen Turner. And she's like, oh, you know, all that time that we talked, I never told him that I had a compulsive eating disorder. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Steve Martin winds up with fat Kathleen Turner. And that is the end of the movie. It ends with them going back to the this mansion to the house of Huffar, and he tries to carry her over the threshold, and he has difficulty because she's much fatter now, and he basically crashes into the into the flowers, into the assholes slash azaleas, and that is our wonderful the man with two brains, such a goofy, underloved, almost unknown comedy from 1983. Yeah, there's so much to unpack in that. I mean, I I probably watched it five times in the last month, and there's just so much so much good stuff in there. Is there anything that I left out? Because I was trying to rush through it, and again, it's it's yep. it's hard to explain a movie to people who have never seen it, especially a comedy like this. Like I could walk through Forrest Gump or a drama really yeah. easily, but a comedy, it's hard. Am, am I missing anything big that you think people need to know about? The, the other one I think that's really funny is when is the uh, prostitute Fran, <laughs> oh, yeah. and and you know and and uh, you know he finds this perfect woman, and that woman is is drop dead gorgeous. You know she is actually. I think from Bellevue, Washington. What? That she's like, yeah. I don't know how close Bellevue, Washington is to you. Um, well, Bellevue is where I grew up. I grew up literally in Bellevue, Washington. Went to Interlake High School. That is my home. What? What is her name? The actress? Randy. Randy Brooks. She's 61 currently. She was 26 at the time of the movie, hmm. and she's a realtor in Bellevue, Washington right now. It said on. Wow, I did so. not know that. Yeah, he's talking about in in Austria. There's a scene where Steve Martin finds the perfect woman to put the uh, brain into, and she's this drop dead hooker blonde hooker and she you know opens her raincoat to show off her breasts and steve martin's like mama <laughs> <laughs> i i did not know miss brooks in bellevue also she's a good 17 years older than me so i did not know her but it's right. good to know she is one of my homies from bellevue there well the funniest thing is about her voice you know so when he approaches her he like cringes when she talks because he's he's he wants this body but her voice is like hi you want to make yourself at home? I'll be okay. Come on. I like the song Duke of Duke of Earl. And she starts going to this high-pitched noise and, uh, voice, and he, she goes up to the room, and she's uh, she's ready to have sex. They're ready to have some fun, and, and he's contemplating injecting her with this window cleaner, which uh, later in the movie is called Pain of Glass, which I thought was kind of funny. But anyway. It's actually not. Pain in the glass. Oh, pain in the glass. That's right. That's right. But he tries to inject her, and uh, he, he can't inject her with this uh, uh, this fluid here. And he says, I can't inject you with window cleaner. She goes, I don't mind. What does it do? What does it do anyway? It causes your brain to die last. She goes, I don't mind. And she, he walks out. He just can't do it. She says, it's my voice, damn it. So. <laughs> well, you know, that's how we all talk in Bellevue, Washington. That's the typical Bellevue accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah it took me years to uh. lose that accent. <laughs> No, but that's that's I mean those are the big things you hit really did a great job on that. So. Okay. Yeah, I really hope I can I can capture the spirit of this movie and just how odd it is. And again, it's it's one of those movies that just straddles right down that line of completely stupid yet really smart. There's so many things going on and again, those jokes are coming at you left and right. You almost can't catch them all. 
and it really does not feel like any other Steve Martin movie. Like the jerk is the closest one I can come to, but like right. around this, you had like dead men don't wear plaid. You had all of me, you have dirty rotten scoundrels, three amigos, Roxanne. I mean, I, I like all those movies for what they are, but I don't think any of them are as just a hundred percent, just silly, funny, like this one, like this, this one really stands alone to me as something they were really going for something different with. Well, you talked about the animal references with that donkey that almost got killed in one of your previous podcasts. And it's, it's funny here because there's like a cat in the operating room three times. And, and then this, I don't know, the dog was killed and they had this midget taking it out, you know, by the, right next to the owner. And, the, and then, of course, you had a gorilla, you know, in here. And so it's kind of funny how the animal references kind of falling through all these different, uh, podcast that you're, you're you're going through oh yeah it's it's well i have a theory this has nothing to do with this movie in particular but with horror movies is that i've always said if you want the audience to know that you mean it you mean business in a horror movie kill a dog if you kill the dog <laughs> that means that absolutely gets the audience on edge right at the start and it happens in the movie jaws a dog gets eaten oh yeah and it happens in halloween yeah. a dog gets stabbed and i always say those two movies the minute they kill that dog the audience knows you better be on your toes because we're not pulling our punches here yeah, it's not quite the same in comedy, but I will say for the dog reference that he's talking about, there's a scene very right at the start of the movie where Kathleen Turner's elderly husband dies and his little dog dies, too. They both have heart attacks. And so you just get a little background shot of, you know, the owner being carted off in a, uh, in a on a stretcher. And then right at right behind him, there's a tiny little stretcher being pushed by a midget, which is ostensibly the dog carcass, which is they don't linger on that joke. I just love how silly it is in the background. And the cat, you mentioned the cat. I, oh God! I showed uh. this movie to my father-in-law recently, and he remembered it from the '80s. And I said, "Hey, we're gonna watch a Steve Martin movie, The Man with Two Brains." And he's like, "Get that cat out of here!" He knew immediately yep. it was the cat movie. And that's for people who've never seen this movie. There's all these scenes at the start of the movie where Steve Martin's doing brain surgery, and there's all these crazy things like, "Give me the scalpel! Give me that! Give me this! Give me the forceps! Get that cat out of here!" Like, there's always a cat for some reason in the operating room, and it just kind of becomes a running joke in the movie. So that's one of the other things that people might remember, the get that cat out of here, the talking brain, and, of course, the best running gag of this movie and one of the funniest things I can think of a comedy in the 80s, Dr. Michael Hoffar. Nice. <laughs> trying to think of the comedian who has all the puppets, who has, I'm trying to think of, uh, I'm blanking on his name here. Oh, uh, um, yeah, what is that guy, uh, Dunham? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of sounds like some of those names Dunham would have on some of his puppets. Yeah. And again, I just I just can't get over the fact that so many people that know comedy and like comedy and write about comedy, they know that is the biggest sign of a hack comedian, the funny name joke. Yet, Steve Martin, the one person who found a way to pull it off in a movie and not only make it work, make it work repeatedly. And like, I, I just showed this movie to my wife recently. She'd never seen it before. And she was cracking up every time someone would try to say his name and how all the different ways you could butcher that. Like there was Dr. Furrer and Furrier and Harfarfarfar and Harfarfar. And they'll even ask him, they're like, how is it pronounced? And he's like, well, just like it's spelled. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're pretty much done with this one. We've, we've beaten this one yeah. to death. And I, this podcast is almost as long as the movie itself. Anything else you'd like to add, say, anything else uh, where people can find you? Uh, what would you like people to know about you, Dr. Rob? Well, I'm a big-time Survivor fanatic, and I've been following Mario forever from historians, and I followed the tribe. And, and I'm, I'm actually uh, 
I have the honor of being patron number one for Mario Lanza mm-hmm. on on uh, Patreon. So uh, that's kind of one of my things. And we mentioned a little bit about we have some North Dakota, South Dakota kind of connection with some some relatives. So that's that's kind of fun. So I'm at least Mario returns my uh, my messages when I tweet him here. So it's 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 that's a lot of fun. But <laughs> I like the irony here of a doctor saying, "Wow, somebody actually returns my calls." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well put. That's good. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Dr. Rob is my first patron. Again, I really appreciate my patrons. I just opened my account last year and he was number one. He has been supporting me forever and I really appreciate him. So I'd, I would encourage other people to do like Dr. Rob and not only save lives and follow the Hippocratic Oath, but also become my patron. <laughs> so, you know, I'm on Twitter at Rob from 605 and then I'm on Facebook as well. And anytime you can talk Survivor with me, go ahead and contact me i love talking about it still trying to get on the show all right well this was a lot of fun and i i do want to expound on that cousin thing um dr rob and i i think are actually distant cousins and we just found this out recently that my mom her uh her last name was ludke and his wife's maiden name was ludke and they're spelled different but it's such a weird odd ethnic name and my family did come from the area of the country where he's from that i think that he and i are actually cousins so it was this was a uh the first time getting to talk to a relative on staff picks i'm very excited about that yeah we just have to wait for the family reunion i gotta make my way out to to washington state to see you out there i'm sure i'll have a meeting go to and maybe i'll look you up all right well, again, my name is uh, Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. I just want to appreciate. Uh, I just want to thank everybody who listens and follows these podcasts. Again, if you need to reach me, you can reach me at email at staffpickspodcast at gmail dot com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J Lanza. Hey there, this is Mario. Just a quick disclaimer to say that after we recorded this podcast, Dr. Rob and I looked up, and indeed there was never a John Lillison, England's greatest one-armed poet. He was made up just for the movie. Just wanted to clarify that. Thanks a lot. And until the next time I uh, talk to you, I'll be out there looking for underrated, underloved, and underappreciated movies, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. There it is, darling. Your new home. The house of Hafar. What are those assholes doing on the porch? Those aren't assholes. It's pronounced azaleas. I put them there for you.